Welcome to Speak of the Devil. My name is Reverend Campbell, and I've got a hell of a show for you this week. Today I'm being joined by author, priest, UV Ray. How are you doing, man? All right, man. It's nice to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has been. It's been a very long time, but we've got, so not only do we have catching up to do, but we've got some of your new work to talk about. Today we're going to be focusing primarily on your new novel, Drug Story, that was just recently released by uh, Murder Slim Press. Let me give a quick shout out to everyone in the chat room. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you have any questions or comments throughout the course of the discussion, yeah, um, please get them up, ask them in the chat, please. and we'll address them as, as soon as possible. So James, Joaquin Pie, how you doing, man? Uh, impending doom. Good to see you. All right. How you doing, dear? Uh, okay, so anyone else joining us after the fact, uh, we'll get to you here shortly. But uh, okay, so UV Ray. Can we give a, a little rundown uh, about your background of writing for those who may not be familiar with uh, your work? Um, I, I always say my work's it's kind of it, it, it's 80% autobiographical. Mm. Um, in, in the case of Drug Story, although it's kind of set 91-92 period, 1991-92, a lot of the things actually happened to kind of each side of it, and it's condensed down into that time period. And it does cover that. Um, I think one person said, I write about people clinging to the margins of society. And I think that's probably what I write about, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So you do have a very specific. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit of an echo. Is there any way you can lower your volume a little bit? Um, yeah. It's like being fed back like through. Um, so one thing I have noticed about your writing is just the unconventional way that you, like the format of writing as well. I mean, punctuation is very much uh, in like phrasing of dialogue, of, of inner monologues and stuff. Um, is this just come naturally to you or are, are you trying to force the reader into this sort of uh, frame of speech that you're you're writing here? I don't think I'm trying to force the reader. I think right in the days before I wrote fiction, um, I think I always had an intention to infuse my writing with some kind of some kind of common some kind of I always wanted to make some kind of comment, not write some glib, right. some glib reportage. Um, uh, how's it going, Robert? Thanks for joining us in the chat room. Uh, yeah, I, and I have to say, I've been reading your work for a long time, and so I don't have any like your poetry is you know really great, and, and the the narrative flows as poetry. Um, the novels, it reminds me a little bit of writers like. Um, uh, I'm hoping I'm, I'm calling this out right, like, uh, like uh, Irvin Welsh or something, where they write in the tone of the mind of the character that they're, you know, sharing. So I, when you start reading Drug Story, for example, you are immediately falling into the mindset of Mark and how he speaks and the narrative. And of course, you're, you said that some of this is, uh, you know, a bit autobiographical. And so I really feel like we're getting a sense of you um, as the character behind these words in the way that you're delivering the formatting uh, of the words, which I think is just really fantastic. Um, 
So in as much as there's a little bit of like hurdles you have to get through to get used to that pattern, it's quickly overshadowed by um, the process that you're going through in, in reading the words. I don't know. I think it's really fascinating. Um, but you've actually written a lot of different... Uh, oh, shit. Looks like we have some uh, technical issues cropping up. I will do my best here to uh, resolve that real quick. There we go. All right. So, uh, I mean, it does look like we have a little bit of a, like a, a lag or something with the internet connection. Uh, can you hear me, Yvre? Because I do not have you. <laughs> it would be the fucking case. <laughs> we had a little bit of a, like a time uh, discrepancy in setting this up. And now it appears we have a little bit of an internet connection discrepancy as well. Yeah. So, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, okay. it just broke up, I think. Yeah. I think we're uh, getting better now. Um, so let's talk about some of your earlier work. I mean, what what is, uh, before we dive into drug stories specifically, um, can you tell us, like, what was your first published book? Um, what, what, what volumes are you more proud of? Uh, my first my first book was poetry, but I haven't written any poetry now for a long, long time. Mm. Um, I think since 2011, something like that. Um, and I don't know, it was a transition really. I don't think I could, I don't think I could convey what I wanted to convey in poetry. Um, and not enough people read it. Yeah. So that's why I started writing fiction. And then that became... That became more important to me. Um, so I felt that I could convey in fiction more adequately, really. Um, and I forgot the rest of the question. Well, do you think that some of your... Um, the, the way that you write novels is inspired by the way you wrote poetry? Yeah, I think I write pretty much the same. I... Um, there's a publisher over in Venezuela, American guy over in Venezuela, who um, came over to visit me a while ago, and he thought, he, I mean, he was very complimentary, but he was saying, I think you're that good that you could write anything, and he's wrong. Uh, I can't write anything. If I could, I would write bestsellers, um, <laughs> because I need the money. But, um, and uh, so I can't write anything. I can only write the way I speak. Hmm. And that's the way I write, essentially. Just I just write the way I speak. Yeah. Uh, and I write about the life that I've lived. Uh, I wish I could write about other things, but I can't. Well, which is why... I'm sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, which, which is why, really, um, I've said that I do believe now that Drug Story will be my last book because I, I don't feel I've got anything left to say. Uh, I've said everything I can say, I think. Yeah. But I mean, is that what you said the last time we talked too? Uh, you know, yeah, I think, I think um, it was we are glass. Uh, I think was the last time yeah. we spoke. Um, but like, I mean, that this isn't this like the ever moving wheel of an author of anyone who writes is that you you feel like what whenever you just went through the hurdle of finishing your last work, you're just like, what else can I do? Like, this is everything that I am until the next thing comes along. Well, it's been a bit of a joke amongst people online about me retiring because I always say I'm going to retire after finishing a book because 
it literally wears you out right in a book. There's nothing left of you when you've when you finished it. And the, it's the editing process is absolutely murderous. And um, in the past, I've always felt that I wanted to stop writing, and then there was always something else to say. This time, I don't know. At the moment, I really feel that um, I really feel that's it because um, it just feels like there's nothing left to say now. I feel like I've done it and. The other thing is, I mean, they, they say that if you're a writer, you, you can't stop, you know, and I, I think I used to think that, too. But I think that's a lie now. I think that writing is a nasty habit and like you get into it as, a, as like a kind of habit. And if you you like any habit, you can break the habit. You can just say, no, you know, I can stop. And I, at the moment, I feel like I can. Hmm. I don't feel like I want to write anymore. Huh. Well, that's unfortunate. At the moment. Because I've been enjoying what you've been putting out. Um, I, and just a couple here notes here for everyone else. Uh, if you haven't read any of his work before, I do highly recommend it. Um, but, you know, he's been, um, uh, let's see, uh, The Migrant uh, was a runner-up for the Saboteur Awards for Best Novella. Um, your first book, Black Cradle, uh, received a Saboteur Award nomination in 2016. Um uh, and then, of course, this drugstore was just released. Uh, I'd be surprised if it didn't get some sort of recognition as well, because I do genuinely think it's that good. And we were speaking briefly before we went uh, uh, live here. As I was reading it, I couldn't help thinking uh, this is like this should be a fucking movie like this. It, it's so good and it's so vibrant in description that. Like I finished it right before we went on air and I couldn't stop just picturing everything that you were putting down so brilliantly. It reminded me of like cues of it from my youth, which I really appreciated it. Uh, it, it put mm. me in the era of the 90s brilliantly, um, even a little bit before that. Uh, just the, 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 the anecdotes, the stories, the thoughts that you bring about are very reminiscent of this sort of drug-infused counterculture that I'm not entirely sure everyone understands unless you are a part of it in some way. Um, and certainly the narrative, uh, the, the way that your mind works in these moments, I, I, you, I, you have to be a part of it to truly understand that frame of mind. Um, you have a bunch of really sort of uh, great uh, characters that are, are joining uh, in this um, <laughs> that, that we're going to get into here in just a little bit, but let me ask you, you're saying this is like 80, 90% autobiographical. Uh, are you ever concerned that uh, you're giving a little bit of yourself, a little too much of yourself uh, into your work? Yeah, it's, uh, it does tear a strip off you, but I think that with what I write, that's, that's part of the territory. There's nothing I can do about that. that. That's just how it is with what I write. But yeah, you do feel like that, yeah, it does. Um, it does feel like you're um, you're tearing trips off yourself, as I've said many times. Mm. But it's funny, really, when you mention the characters because there's there's uh, the little the little dwarf in um, the little thieving, the little poison dwarf. And they all, you know, he appears in um, he does appear in the migrant as well. Um, I can't remember if he he appears in anything else, but yeah, he's he's in both, and it's the same character. It's a little. It literally was a thieving. Man, he was a character. Yeah, it's just breaking up a little bit. Um, you got me. Yeah, I got you now. Uh, just saying that you know the little yeah, dwarf sorry. appeared in both books. 
That's great. Um, and I really, I really like the memory of him. So that's why I like writing about him. He's just um, a horrible little character, really. But you know, he did what he did. Yeah. He did what he did to survive. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I almost feel like that's the case for everyone in this novel. Um, and in general, like you do what you do to survive, and it's from the outside that may seem mm. uh, acceptable or wretched to whomever is viewing it, but that's the case of all humanity. And and this is something that you continually go back to throughout this book, specifically more than I think in, in some of your other work. When we got on to test uh, the camera earlier, our, uh, we had this brief interaction of me thinking that this was more of like a philosophy book, uh, like a personal life philosophy than uh a narrative story because it is interspersed very brilliantly with uh, Mark's insights and like three quarters of the way through there's this really great interaction uh, that's really brief where Amy wakes up and it's right after this long sort of drab monologue uh, within uh, Mark's head and she just sort of turns to him and is like are you doing another inner monologue <laughs> just this sort of like third uh, pulling open the fourth curtain you know the fourth wall and just uh letting everyone in on this sort of joke that this whole novel's been about so far. Yeah, I mean, the case of the case of the character Amy, I mean, there's, there's a lot of characters I, I in a lot of my stories, I don't even change the names. I, I, a lot of people know who they are. Mm. In her case, I uh, she's still alive, and I changed her name based just so I don't get sued because uh, she, she's probably the worst woman I've ever been involved with. And those like scenes it. in it where it comes through the window and everything, I mean, it was it was that was all bang on you know i mean that 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 happened i mean there's there's one there was one time in my life that i wish i wish i'd have included the scene in the book but in in the in drug story mark my sort of alter ego doesn't doesn't have a car in reality in reality i did have a car and the one night i heard all this commotion outside and i looked out the window and she was smashing my car with a hammer you know so she was that kind of woman so they're, they're not don't remember her with great affection, you know, really. Um, but again, she is one of those characters who was doing what she, she was an extremely damaged character. And the way she was, she could not help. Um, and, you know, I, I, I honestly, she was another one I would have thought would be dead by now. Mm. Um, and I haven't seen her for ages. Just as a matter of fact, while I was writing the book, I, um, I did look her up on Facebook to see if she was alive. Um, and she is so. Um, yeah, I, yeah. But Amy was very, very real character and uh, absolute nightmare. But, um, <laughs> but all the characters essentially all, all existed in one way or another. Yeah. Um, occasionally, I occasionally I make one character out of two people that I knew, but they're all they're all in there. They all exist, and uh, it was part of that really wild period, you know, that in reality lasted. It lasted ten years. It wasn't mm. condensed down into that years. It was, it was over a period of ten years, you know. So, um, yeah. But it was a wild time, and uh, a lot of people are dead, you know. So, mm -hmm. I'm I'm a survivor. <laughs> well, I was questioning whether you were going to make it out of this novel alive by the end of it, because <laughs> there was some shit that was just dark. Uh, that that not only you were going through, but also everyone around you. And I was genuine, like as at, as you started experiencing other people's reaction to you through the course of the novel and how you deteriorated physically. 
that was, I think, very, very interesting and telling because normally it's from the outside looking in, but we are on the inside looking out, uh, mm. experiencing this sort of trauma that the lifestyle was uh, causing uh, to your physical body. And also, of course, Amy just being the monster that she is. Um, can we give a brief rundown? Like, how would you describe this story other than just partially autobiographical? I mean, can you like sort of sell it for the audience? No, um, I don't know how, you sell a book. how do you sell a book like that? I mean, yeah. it's you know, it is what it is. It, uh, you know, I can't believe people ask me what it's about. Mm. It's like the clue is in the title. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It, you, you know, it's pretty obvious. Um, but no, I've I've never really known how to I've never really known how to sell books in that way. Um, it's just I tried to write it at a breakneck speed, and I tried to make the reader feel the speed of the living and the um, the uh, the chaos of the living, mm. uh, the, the the lifestyle, should I say? Um, so I tried to do that with the style of prose so that it be read at breakneck speed. Mm. So and I hope hope I did that. I think I did. Yeah, I think you absolutely. For did. me, like, for me, I was writing it was like Sorry, we had a bit of a, a slowdown. Literature about. You got me. Yeah, we're back now. Sorry, the the fucking internet is just going crazy right now. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably I live in this little hick town, so right. it's it's probably my connection. They they, you know, they only started slicing bread in two thousand and one. <laughs> That's not a joke. Oh fuck. Um, I want to because my wife asked me what it was about, and again, unless you have lived some semblance of this type of a lifestyle, I don't think, I don't think it makes much sense to the outside. Um, and so I have to sort of try to preface it in a way that, that films have already been released or uh, stories have already been told to give people a, a sort of tonal understanding. And so I keep going back to like train spotting, not because it's like train spotting, but because it's that sort of drug culture that you find in stories like train spotting where it's this narrative of this individual sort of rolling through life and all of the madness and chaos that is happening all around them and you're just getting the perspective from them um and so in that tone i you know it's it's very much like train spotting uh as a way of explaining it um again there are so many like little moments within this that had me just laughing out loud. Like when they were looking at when you were looking at the chandelier walking to your friend and all the colors were flashing and all the old people in the restaurant bar were turning to goblin faces and the, they're like trying to like get you to like leave the the establishment and stuff and the being in that moment with you reminded me of uh, this time that I was, I had dropped acid. We were in a uh, art gallery and it had like these stairs that go down like an old castle, like these super tight little circles, um, all like brick built. And we were just, just laughing because it was like the absurdity of modern times walking down this, you know, tube. It's an art gallery for fuck's sake. So we're looking at mm -hmm. modern art and everything, but it's in this like old ancient, like 
framed building and we get to the bottom and we're looking at all these student art pieces they're just ridiculous and we're laughing hysterically and no one else around us has any clue that we're frying and they're just like oh they think they're so funny and it's just like this insane moment that was exactly personified in that restaurant scene um in this book so it was really great because it took me right back to that moment and again if you've never had one of those moments you may not get it but it's intense and it's awesome Maybe, maybe not. If people haven't had the, the, that kind of experience, I still hope they find it quite funny. But that that scene in that, I mean, I was just talking about it the other day with someone and the, the, the real, in reality scene. I don't know how we ended up, you know, on magic mushrooms in dinner time in a in an old people's, like full of old people's restaurant, you know, but it was a very funny scene, uh, a very funny, for a funny day, you know, but... Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of those, as I said, it's a lot of those things actually happened. And I think it's the funniest parts that are the, I wrote pretty much as is, mm. you know. But, uh, you know, like I say in the book, you know, that barman, he got he's got to be a hero for the day, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a story that they will continue telling, as you mentioned. Um, I, I, I couldn't even I couldn't even work my legs. I mean, I couldn't have even fought him off. I couldn't. My legs were like rubber, you know, so um, it was uh, it was a wild day. Yeah. But uh, there we go. Well, this is another side of it is, uh, you know, a lot of people, if they think of drug use, they think it's like a weekend warrior thing where, you know, at the end of the weekend, you're going to spend a couple hours doing X or Y, and then you go back to your regular life. But this is a literal lifestyle. Like you wake up dropping pills, dropping tabs. Like this mm. is like a constant... I don't know how you made it out alive <laughs> with what you're describing. No, um, I mean, you know, I was talking to my, uh, my friend Giles uh, a few weeks ago, you know, and I've known him for, I've known him for 28 years, something like that. And, you know, he looks at me and says, you know, you don't even look bad. You're looking good, good health. You know, he says, it's a fucking miracle, <laughs> you know, and uh, everyone who speaks to me says the same thing, you know, it is just a miracle. Mm. Um, but the thing is, I was never, I was never in the gutter. The problem was, I mean, I was earning quite well in reality. I, I you know, I good job, good money. And I was, I, you know, I was a functioning drug user. And um, the problem was I was too young and had far too much money. Hmm. Um, I wasn't quite as quite as on skid row as I was in 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 drug story. In reality, I had nice BMWs, nice Mercedes, you know, and um, it was too much too soon. And I I spent my money on drugs and cars, you know. So that was it was a party lifestyle rather than a it. Well, I wasn't a down and out lifestyle. Um, I had a nice lifestyle and it was fun. That's great. Uh, do you, Pi is asking, uh, do you have any chronic damages from long-term use? No, not that, not that I know of, not physically anyway. Yeah. There might be there might be some mental incapacity, I don't know. Um, hopefully not. No, I don't have any, no, no, no ill effects at all. Uh, I've, you know, I'm, I, you know, I've proved to be remarkably resilient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I can, I can just stare at something and I can see it start breathing like I do when I was on acid. And so I know for me, there's definitely some tangential effects that I can cue into, but for the most part, I never really think about it. So they don't really manifest at all. Do you have anything like that where it's just, 
you know, you, you can find those moments. Oh, damn fucking internet. <laughs> this is killing me. You back? Now we're back. Ah. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, there may be, I mean, if you haven't had that experience that, you know, that there's certain things I still look at like a, like a, a bead of water mm. coming down, down a glass and you, you, I can see it sometimes as a beetle. Um, and it's, that's due to experiences with the looseness because you, you know, beads of water always look like beetles to me and I can still see that sometimes. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have had yeah. the drug experiences. So, you know, that's, that's there. Yeah. But I don't call that any effect. That's just uh, that's just an experience you remember, you know. I think. Yeah. I think no. I get debilitating flashbacks. I've heard people talk about those, and I don't know if that's true. I, I've not had anything like that. Yeah. No, I, I haven't either. I, but I've never done to the extent that you have in this book at all. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about drugs in general? Because clearly there was a time where you were, um, you know, knee deep and, you know, maybe eyes deep uh, into the culture. But um, I think I honestly think there's like psychedelics specifically, there's an important role in the human experience. You know, it's sort of introspective experiences a human being that you can have on psychedelics. Do you think that that's something that um, more people should experience or do you think it's just, I don't know, dangerous like everyone says? Yeah, I think more people should experience it. Um, they're experiencing it without knowing it anyway because they're experiencing it through music and art because most of those musicians and artists have, have found some kind of um, some kind of conduit between themselves and their art. Mm -hmm. They've, that Those drugs have been that conduit. So, uh, people are experiencing it without knowing it, really. Um, but yeah, it is important. Um, and some of the most important music and art has been created by people using drugs. So there is there is an important aspect to it. But although I wouldn't do them now, purely the only reason I wouldn't do them now is because your your body can't take it at 52 years old. Mm. You you know you will die, um, and you you know you don't desire it in the same way. But um, if I had my time over again, I would do it all again. I wouldn't. I would change anything, apart from maybe I'd run a mile the night I met her. Yeah. Um, so someone in the chat room is asking, what was the most impacting experience that you had uh, on drugs? I suppose is what they're asking. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's all a blur, really. Um, <laughs> it's. Uh, I think, no, I think, um, I think the fact that I can write about it now, that, that it's all I write about and that's all those experiences have gone into now what I do. So the impact has been, again, like I was just saying, the, the catalyst for what I do as a writer mm. has been the drugs, you know, so that is, that's been a major impact on my life so that would be it really yeah well i know that it was always a question posed to me as a kid by uh teachers and stuff where they would always ask all these artists that you're sort of championing and, and heralding as as these brilliant masterminds who are all drug addled and and you know <laughs> off the rocker most of the time 
do you think that they're brilliant and and so insightful because of the drugs or do you think that they are that way anyway and they're just you know sort of wrapping themselves in this culture because it's popular or they you know there's something damaged in their mind um and what do you think about that because there's plenty of people who go ahead there's plenty of people who um are mindless drug users ravers to go to rave and all they want to do all night is dance Mm. and good luck to them but for me the most interested people use drugs because it was a way of they were generally intelligent people they were generally needed they needed a kind of anesthetic from life because if you understand life and if you think about life it's pretty tough it uh you back I think so, yeah. yeah. So they, life is tough. Mm. And I think um, not necessarily things that can happen to you in life, because I know plenty of middle class privileged kids who use drugs, but they tend to be intelligent people and they tend to be people who um, think about life a bit more, mm. consider life a bit more, theorize a bit more. And I think they, I think drugs are an anesthetic from, from a kind of pain. Yeah. The pain of thought, the pain of realizing what life is. I've I've often thought that I, you know, I wish, you know, the old saying, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And I've often thought, I just wish I didn't think about things so much. Sometimes I wish I just had that freedom to worry about nothing because mm. you haven't got the capacity to worry about anything. So I, I do think a lot of people I've known who use drugs tend tend to have a tend to have a good mental capacity in the first place. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's been my experience for the most part. You know, there are always those sort of, you know, club electro junkies that are just going because they want to, you know, fuck off. But the, <laughs> the, the amount of individuals that consciously use it in an attempt at introspection or to explore uh, maybe not just themselves, but the, 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 the other people that they're with, um, I think... I think those individuals uh, actually, you know, for the most part, benefit from the use more than uh, succumb to its, its worst aspects. Part of what I love about this book is that we're getting not only this, you know, interesting and creative narrative of experience throughout, but we're also getting a lot of introspection, a lot of Mark's thoughts about uh politics, other human beings, uh, relationships. And I think that is a really, really interesting uh, bit because, again, like I mentioned earlier, this could very much be seen as just your personal philosophy uh, manual Mm -hmm. because there are so many little pieces that are just so great. Um, This was... Okay, I'm not going to get to that yet because I couldn't help but flag this book certain pages throughout reading it and it actually took me longer to read because i was flagging all these fucking notes um that i just found so interesting that i wanted to talk about or go back to and rethink i think i read books differently than most people like i'll i'll read a bit and then i'll sit and think about it and then i'll continue reading instead of just trying to like swallow it all but this is i thought this was uh, one of the interesting parts Uh, As narrow and provincial as they are, people's interpretation of you will be filtered through their own limited perceptions and translated into something they can understand. And that's why no one truly understands anyone else and why we're all ultimately alone in this world. 
Sometimes you just have to accept people or how they are for reasons you will never comprehend, like watching actors on a TV screen, and they got this way of making you think they're feeling something in relation to what they're saying, but really, they're just a blank canvas upon which you project your own emotions, and they themselves don't feel nothing. Like, that's... Hold on, that, there's a final cap on that. It's kind of this internal purgatory all we all exist in. That's fucking brilliant, man. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think I said on one of the social media channels, it's, uh, it's weird because sometimes when I read it back, it's like he's talking my own thoughts, but I don't actually remember writing some of the words that I write. <laughs> Um, when I'm sort of hammering them out, I don't remember what I'm saying. Um, it's just like, I don't know, I suppose, obviously it's coming from me. Mm -hmm. um, but it is like reading my own thoughts back, but I don't remember writing at the time. I, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, I suppose that's, I suppose it's a good thing that I can put down this kind of barrier sometimes that writers have and just let it out rather than... Um, Rather than find it difficult to get the words on the page, mm. uh, so, uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much how I see things. Do you think I mean, it's Do you think it's important for you to share your perspectives through the frame of uh, a novel rather than just like a straight essay collection or something like that? Like, do you think that's that's a better way of doing it? Well, coming back to what we were saying about the fact that I'm still alive, I've always felt that when I write something, if I can leave a document of my existence, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the only way you're going to live forever is yeah. by what you leave, yeah. as we all know. Um, and I think part of me in the back of my mind was always like this. This is how I will leave a little bit of myself behind when I'm dead. And I kind of still think I might die young, you know. I said, you know, I've made it further than I've made it further than I expected. But I, but now I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if I'll see sixty, mm -hmm. you know. So um, I, I think in the back of my mind, I was always trying to leave a little bit of a document of myself, you know. Yeah. Something just to say that these were my thoughts. This was my ideas. And again, coming back to. Coming back to artists generally, I think it's our job to document and record the time we live in. And I think I'll say it in the book, because if we don't do it, the powers that be will mm -hmm. wipe you away like you never existed. Yeah. So I think, I think it's important that we record these things every day, little bits of life that would otherwise vanish. Yeah. Well, i got to be honest, that was... Um like throughout the whole course of reading this, you got a very real sense that this is informed by your real life experiences before that's ever even mentioned. And then at the very end, when you are talking about that exact uh, reference uh, at the end of this book, you get a sense of, oh shit, this book is actually the result of, um, of, of the thought that you're reading at this moment. And it's, it, it took me out a little bit of the experience because it forced me to look at the book in a different way than I had the entire way up to that point. You know, up until that point, it was, it was a very interesting narrative that called upon, you know, maybe real life experiences, but otherwise just some uh, interesting and just crazy moments in some cases. Um, 
but then it immediately takes this sort of realistic vibe that it almost question it begs you to question whether this can even be seen as a novel or not like whether it's it should just instead of just being not, not a novel but a fiction uh, maybe it should just be reframed almost as a, a fictional biography because you do it's, get this yeah, sense. Yeah, a memoir, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Truman Capote, um, you know, he, he called his book a nonfiction novel, mm-hmm. didn't he? Uh, um, uh, In Cold Blood. He, he, and I think, I've, I think I've got the same, the same idea. Yeah. Um, I just write about different things to what he does. But, yeah, I, I, that's what I would call it. I would call it a nonfiction novel. There is fiction in it, but there's more non-fiction in it than there is fiction. Right. Uh, a few embellishments, but but you know it's pretty much it's pretty much an accurate tale of the life. Not just me, obviously me and my friends. You know, um, I think sometimes I think sometimes the friends I mix with in my books, I make them out a little bit worse than they they are they were in reality. Mm. Um, obviously, a lot of them I've got much more redeeming qualities. Than, than some of the characters in the books, and I think sometimes I should have, should have maybe got a bit more of that in because they, you know, they're people I've known for a long, people I've known for years, and I feel that in the book I'm quite them in the sense that I haven't included all their their really good qualities, and there is plenty of them apart from Amy, yeah. who hasn't got a single one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she. It is funny. She's sort of the. Um... She's she is like pure chaos personified in this, where you you can't quite shake her, you can't get rid of her because she's she's like a an orbiting planet. Like she was, you don't, you she can't was help like it. that. Was that she was like that for years? I couldn't get rid of her. She just kept coming back, and um, you know she had she had her her only redeeming feature really, the only thing because I was young, I was in my early twenties. She was a year or two younger and. The only thing she had going for her, she was incredibly attractive. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, she's one of those incredibly attractive but really damaged girls. But you, you have to have some understanding for people. Like I, um, you know, she, there were reasons for why she behaved like she did, and it was her own inner torture, her own inner pain. Yeah. And I don't think her life has gone well, you know, since. I don't think she's in a good place now at the age of fifty and. You know, it's um, her life's been chaos and probably still is, mm. but um, it was down to her, uh, you know, her childhood and things that, had, that happened to her that were out of her control. So, to have some understanding for her, she you know, she had it tough as a child and she grew up damaged. Mm. She can't help her behavior, it's just that she'll destroy anybody's life that she comes into, and she's not the only one I've known. I've known a few mm. women like that, which is why. I've always said, you know, I'd really like, I would have always liked to have written a love story, but that's not been my experience. My experience with women have been pretty chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably, that's not all their fault. That's my fault too, because I'm obviously uh, fatally drawn to um, these, these kinds of women. Yeah. Well, I really love the, the interaction that you had with Samantha in this, because this was like... It, sort of framed as the one that got away that you know you're just not quite good enough for because she is so much better but you still can't help but want to live up to any expectation of you that she may have uh, and then fail at doing so. Um, 
But that was the closest real life. Like, like I, in my youth, I've had experiences like that where it's, you know, you want to be the man for this person because you admire this person so much, but you know you just can't live up to it. And there's this sort of pain that you just have to live with. Like, I'm just not good enough for them, but I want to be so damn bad because I just want to be with them. Hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, at that time in my life, there was probably a void and emptiness. I was looking for something. I was trying to fill something. So unfortunately, those kind of girls um, would, would, would appear uh, you're kind of um, hankering onto something, but of course the other woman in the box, Samantha, um, was perfectly together, and she, to this day she's probably my biggest regret in my life because she was a very, um, she was a very beautiful and together person, and she brought stability into my life, and I fucked that up, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that was my fault. She was she was great, and she liked me too, and uh, but she you know after. a Saw her on and off for like four years in the end. And in the end, she just said to me, you know, you're a maniac. You're a maniac. And if I stay with you, you're going to take me over the cliff with you. Yeah. Um, and the weird thing was I heard off her just a few years ago. Um, she could not believe another one that couldn't believe I was alive. Mm-hmm. She just thought that's it, you know. But eventually she, uh, she'd she gone away and married <laughs> married a vicar. So, so, oh, shit. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, she's uh, she's when as opposite producer. of you as she could. <laughs> she's a she's a TV producer in London now, so oh, wow. she's done very well for herself. At the time, she was at university studying literature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she was she was interested in me because I was I was a writer and things like that. But we were young and mm-hmm. uh, you know, experiencing life, both looking for things. But yeah, she did the right thing. Mm-hmm. She went went away and married someone stable. You know. Yeah. Uh, the more we talk about this, the more I think this has, not only are we touching on experience, um, the chaos of youth, we're talking about, um, love or lost love or yearning for love. There's Mm -hmm. also the recognition of loss in this, um, with the death of, um, uh, super fast as it's referred to, he's referred to Mm -hmm. in this, right? Um, but it, in the same way that I experienced loss from, of friends in my youth, you uh, address the same uh, in this, where it's almost like it, it's it's just something you heard of, like you you heard that he died, you weren't sure, you didn't want to believe it, uh, you figured you'd just see him the next morning, and if you didn't, then maybe it was true. But you're, the narrative keeps going, and so he is an incidental loss in this chaotic existence that you're having, and mm. did you? Did you, was it more impactful to you than you let on in the novel, or was it really just this sort of, well, this happened and we just sort of moved on? In the case of that character, no, um, it, it, it wasn't a massive loss to me personally, emotionally. It was just part of the course. He was one of those people, well, several people from that period that have since died. And um, no, but there's, there's one particular friend. I don't really want to talk about. It was a very close friend, and uh, we'd we'd kind of the, the end of that whole period kind of imploded, and we kind of went our separate ways. And um, a lot of things went on with a with another woman I was involved with, who was somebody's fiance, and oh, uh, you know all this crap went. And we went all went our separate ways, you know. Um, and about about three years ago now, I was thinking about him and. Uh, 
started looking up and uh, then I you know heard through another friend that he'd, he'd, he'd passed away mm. um, so that that was that was difficult it was uh, that was more emotional for me because I really wanted to see him again I really wanted to sit down put a few things from the past right because I didn't treat him properly you know drugs constant use of drugs harden you you know when I spoke before about um, that anesthetic that you need mm. They are an anaesthetic, and they 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 numb you in some ways, and it made me um, it made me an insensitive person to people that that didn't deserve it, and he was one of them. And I really really wanted to meet up with him again, you know, be mates again, and but unfortunately it couldn't happen because he'd gone, and uh, that really bothered me. That one did, but the yeah. the character that Superfast is based on in uh, there now that one didn't. He was you know he. He lived the life he, he lived the life he wanted to live, and he mm. went the way he wanted to go. Um, but he was he was he was an incidental friend, yeah. He was he was you know an associate, not a not a close personal friend. Um, but there are there are there have been one or two people that have gone that I've thought, oh no, you know. Yeah. But that's again that's part of the life. If you can you know it's the live by the sword, you die by the sword philosophy, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And then this is something that again. If you haven't grown up or experienced this sort of a lifestyle for any period of time, I think you're a little bit more padded from the realities of life because we went through and we saw a lot of whether direct friends or friends of friends die because of drug use, um, because yeah. of the lifestyle that they had chosen, they saw, thought was so glamorous or exciting. Well, there's a toll. There's a price you have to pay for that. Some people yeah. make it out. Some people don't. And, and those that don't, you, you are constantly hearing about oh did you hear about so-and-so yeah they just fucking mm -hmm. like they yeah. they either overdosed or they did something stupid and killed themselves and like yeah like they're gone and you're just like whoa that that's fucking heavy because like we're doing the exact same things and like why them not us type you know and it's it's wild because it in a regular person's life those moments are massively tragic and you focus on them for a long time because they come few and far between in the lifestyle of um, an addict or a, a user, I think it's more common. And it may mm. have impact on you later in life and reflection, but in the yeah. moment, it's not as impactful as you would expect it to be. Yeah, that's true. And I was just going to say, um, you've already mentioned it, it's not just people dying of ODs and stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's suicides as well. There have been one or two suicides that I've known. Um, me personally, I've never been that negative. I've never really suffered depression or any of those negative things of it. Um, and again, I think that's part of who we are as Satanists. I think we're tough people and I think we're uh, life-loving, resilient people. That's why you don't really hear of, well, you're not going to hear of a Satanist committing suicide. But you should Few and far between, yeah. We, 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 you know, we, 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 we're, we're a life-loving philosophy, despite, despite popular belief that we have some dark outlook on life. I think that's one thing I never had. I never had. I knew things go wrong, mm -hmm. and you know when you make mistakes, and you know when life's tough. But I've never ever got into that dark place where you, um, where you're depressed. I've never suffered from depression. I've always, I've always had a pretty happy outlook on life. Mm -hmm. uh, which is why if I went back in time, I would do it all again. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that because um, I do definitely suffer from moments of like mad depression. 
but there's an awareness about it that I have because, and I think, you know, this is, has a lot to do with my identifying as a Satanist and the understanding of, um, this life loving and championing philosophy. It gives me a sort of outside perspective that maybe I wouldn't have had otherwise. And Mm -hmm. so when I am in those dark moments, I can recognize them as dark moments and I don't succumb to them because of that. There's this sort of awareness that's always there in the background. And so, Yeah. yeah, I mean, to your point, there are, there are some that I've heard of that have committed suicide, but again, they're few and far between, um, there's some other stuff here I wanted to uh, kind of go over. Okay. Um, just some ideas that I thought were just brilliant. This is one that I always, I always love calling back to. And you think about it, man. We're just one planet amongst our little galaxy of stars, and you can look up and think there's so many, so many you can't even count them. But between each of these explosions of light, there's nothing. Just blackness. There's more blackness than there are stars, and the truth is, we don't understand none of it, and we're not meant to understand it either. Because I'll tell you this much, if mankind understood the universe, we'd destroy it. We'd destroy the whole goddamn lot of it. If man knew how it all worked, there'd be nothing fucking left. So, so you think this highly of man, I see. I, I don't know, am I wrong? I think I'm right. I think you're right I think, too. Not all of us, obviously, but there are, you know, um, I think, I think the inspiration behind that was uh, I don't know if you've seen the um, uh, Richard Burton film, The Medusa Touch. No. Uh, yeah, it's a good film, and um, he's basically going to see this psychiatrist, you know, because he believes that he's he's having these thoughts. Uh, evil thoughts like about a plane crashing and then he turns on the news and there's a plane crash and everyone's killed Uh, so he thinks that he's he thinks that his thoughts are becoming um uh uh, real world events Mm. um which they may or may not be maybe imagining it but he says to the psychiatrist she says to him do you know do you really think man's that evil and he says um he says, um, we discover what powers the sun and we make bombs with it. <laughs> and I think that that scene in that film was probably the inspiration behind that that particular quote there. But I think it's a I think it's an undeniable truth. Yeah. I do think man is a destroyer. And I think at some point, you know, we're gonna be gone. Um we're gonna we're gonna destroy this planet at some point. Um we're, we're predators, and I think coming back to again, what you and I and people listening to this will will already know, we are predators and we're destructive, and um, we we're capable of that, and it's uh, you know we're not we're not nice. Yeah, yeah, and and I I don't even think there's like a judgment behind that either. It's just an acknowledgement. No, it's just fact, yeah. as I see it. Uh, we can we we can be nice, of course. You see everyday nice uh, people making pleasant actions every day, but but we're capable of in order to evil. Mm. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And I think I think the evil will outweigh the good in the end. I'm not sure we're going to get through it. I'm not sure we're going to evolve past. Um, I mean, you know, people call it racism these days. The big word is racism. You know. The human race is tribal. 
and we, we, we have our little groups. It doesn't matter whether that's your nationality. It doesn't matter whether you're a punk or a rocker or whatever. You, you, you grow up and, you you know, they try to say that it's not it's not born into us. It's, it's taught us, but it's not. You, you choose your tribe. Mm-hmm. You find a tribe and you go, I want to be part of that. That's part of you growing up as a youth. And then that emerges into nationalism or, you know, I mean, look at society now. We've got the same here as you've got in America. Right. People are totally politically divided. And the problem now is that politics has become like a religion mm-hmm. because most people these days aren't as religious as we used to, as a nation we used to be. Mm-hmm. It's like politics has become their religion and the powers that be are going to love that because they that they can implant thoughts in your head. They're not, people are just not thinking for themselves. Yeah. Their, their thoughts are not their own. They're politicised and they don't know it. They don't know that these thoughts are not their own. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't understand how people can be so stupid. they're just too stupid to know it and you know there are plenty of people alike who've got different political views to me and such like but Mm -hmm. I just sit down and think how is everybody so fucking stupid you know how can we let it happen I think a lot of it is our our societies collectively frown upon introspection like we act like it's some like morose foolish Mm -hmm. thing Act of like too intel- intelligent youth yeah. or something like, but the truth is, if you did a little bit of introspection, you would come out on the other side with something called perspective, and that would actually allow you to realize that, like, we're not different. Like everywhere you go in the world, everyone is essentially the exact same, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying you have to, uh, you know, uh, accept or like or appreciate every other human being, but the acknowledgement that you're not that different, depending on where you are. Um, is is a pretty powerful one. Um, you had this really funny moment uh, early on in the book that I think exemplifies that idea brilliantly. And it was an interaction with a cab driver, I think. Um, a yeah. Pakistani. <laughs> I want to quote this if I can. See, here you got your black people, the driver says. Nobody likes them, right? Me? I'm from Pakistan. If I go to India, they think I'm a nigger. Over there, Pakistanis are treated like niggers customers i had in the cab the other day were from estonia she told me russians are their niggers every society got to have somebody to call nigger makes it makes them feel uh, better about themselves you know what i'm saying and that's literally the case no matter where you go no matter what subset of culture you have there's always going to be the one that you want to denigrate that you want to tear down that you want to sort yeah. of label as the worst and then you suddenly realize yeah. that if everyone's like that then we're all that denigrated worst character. I don't know. I think there's some, there's beauty in that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in reality, um, in reality, like, like most people, I've had a number of conversations with taxi drivers over the years, but that one was a conversation with a friend of mine who was from Estonia and his two cousins came over. He, He was born in England here. But his two cousins came over, these two girls, you know, and um, this was this was at that time, early 90s. And this was, you know, I, this was in Birmingham, you know, there's a lot of black people. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the Birmingham riots are documented in the book. And um, but, you know, she said to me, oh, you know, most of them are OK and everything, blah, blah, blah. And uh, but there's, you know, there's there's an area of the city that that's predominantly black people and it has its problems like any working class society 
it's got its crime problems and you know you well you don't go there um and this this conversation came up and she said oh russians are our niggas so it was like it was that that's where i got that from that she told me that nobody likes the russians in estonia russians and her words were russians are our niggas you know that's where i got that that little conversation from which is a an example of how one of the things in the book that isn't exactly how it happened, but mm-hmm. it still happened. Yeah. Well, it's an idea that everyone can connect to anyway. I mean, uh, Marilyn Manson had this really yeah. great line in one of his songs. Um, uh, uh, Everyone is someone else's nigger. I know I am. So are you or something like that. Mm-hmm. I know you are and so am I or something. Um, and it's just yeah. that idea that, that we are as, as great as you think you are. Someone else is looking yeah. down on you with vile yeah. contempt for no other reason than what you just identified yeah. earlier as tribalism. You know, and like the Patti Smith song, you know, the rock and roll nigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's again, it's about every society's got its niggers. And indeed, my book, The Migrants, some, you know, The Migrants is probably, my book, has probably done the least well out of any of them. And it wasn't my intention to release a book called The Migrant right at the time we've got all these people talking about all the migrants coming here it was it was pure coincidence but the point of my book is that we're all migrants in humanity we're all aliens we're all migrants we're all outsiders because we you know we 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 no way can really be conglomerated into this mass that's that's part of the society's problem and i think a lot of people i do remember at the time people who hadn't read that book can't even remember what year it came out um i don't know 2011 maybe 2010 i can't remember but um uh 2013 um, or 2015 migrant was 2013 oh, um and i couldn't remember but you know people who hadn't even read that book started a twitter campaign against me oh, you know? shit. yeah it was like racist misogynist or they hadn't even read the book you know and I, i'm not even I, i'm trying to make a point mm-hmm. that if anything i mean i'm not gonna get into you know i'm not interested in getting all that bandwagon about about um about migration and politics and all that but the point i was making was actually quite positive that we're all migrants and this guy it was called the migrant because he felt like a migrant wherever he went he was an outsider to humanity so it wasn't even about the political migrants but uh, someone started someone started a twitter campaign and you know how it is it's Mm. like Without even asking me, without even reading the book, people go, oh, boycott this bloke's books. He's a racist, <laughs> you know. And that cost me, that cost me, I am absolutely convinced that cost me a literary award as well because mentioning, I won't mention, that. Uh, I think everyone knows who they are, but the, the literary awards themselves didn't ask me. They didn't speak to me. They just removed my book. Damn. Not the migrant, it was another book, not even the migrant, mm-hmm. but they removed the book from their nominations because of another book that I wrote. And I, they didn't even ask me what it was about. They didn't read the book. And that really pisses me off. That's fucked. Yeah, well, yeah. that's that's the society we're living in right now, isn't it? You see it happening all the time. You know, um, in cases of someone getting accused of rape, you know, I think, I hope they get everything they deserve. But one thing we can't have is someone saying you've done something and then immediately everybody's you've done it mm. no try, trial by social media you know and that that's what happened to me with that that book that probably cost me quite 
probably cost me quite a bit of money and it probably cost me um, a little bit of recognition as well. Mm-hmm. But part of the course, I think, I think you've got to, if you're going to write the raw stuff that I write, you've got to take take the, take the it on the chin, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. That's the other but, side uh, of it, yeah, it, for sure. But I didn't deserve that. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It is, it, our, our culture, it has to spin the other way eventually. And I'm just waiting for it because we, I think the height of it was maybe, maybe five or 10 years ago, but it seems to be like dulling off now as, as everyone's like going, what, what the fuck? Why are we, you know, banning people from colleges? Cause they have a different opinion. Uh, you know, yeah, why are I we mean, condemning that's... people in social media just because one person said X? Um, I, I, I do feel like it's turning. Up. It's just going to take a while. My blood pressure is going up. I get really, really annoyed about that particular subject. You know, I get really annoyed about this. And, um, you know, it's, I was going to say something there, but I'm so annoyed I've forgotten. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you can't have this. You can't have it. And yeah, the pendulum will swing back the other way, but I don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, I don't know what, I think you've probably got the same kind of thing there as here, but... You know, you've got someone here making a Twitter post and an hour later, the police are on the door and it's like, wow, you know, for something you've said on Twitter and it's like, you know, there's, there's more important crimes the police need to be. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not anti-police or anything. I do not believe, I do not believe any of those police officers have joined up going, I'm going to start arrest. I, I really want to arrest people for their Twitter comments. They haven't joined for that reason. Mm. And they're as, they're as bound by the system as we are. You know, it's not those individual coppers' fault what the the establishment is, is telling them to do. Mm. So I don't blame the police, but society is at fault. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and unfortunately, we're at fault because we're the ones making up society. Like, we're, we're yeah. shitting in our own pool and then complaining that someone's shit in our pool. <laughs> So, so it's fucking crazy. That's that's a good way of putting it. Um, all right. So, uh, I I want everyone to go check out Drug Story because this is a brilliant novel. Um, it's it's really entertaining. There's moments that you're just going to sort of lose yourself in uh, what he's writing and describing, and then you're immediately going to be taken away into this really wonderful philosophical realm of consideration. Um, and I love that bounce back and forth throughout this narrative, uh, and I think you will too. Uh, where is the best place people can find you and your work? I, the best place is just the work is just on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, best place is Facebook. Um, can't remember my facebook tag name whatever it's called if you just search uv ray it'll come up uv ray uh uv ray and um uh, uv ray on twitter uh, there's a few though you have to be careful um uv ray underscore i think it is that i've got on twitter you know you use it every day but you don't actually look yeah, but yeah if you look for if you if you look for uv ray or, or mark bickley um facebook that's that's where i am so uh Thank you. Well, I mean, I again, I highly recommend everyone check this out. It's a brilliant book. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and being willing to talk about it. Uh, I do apologize about the time issues we've had and, you know, some of these internet connections. No, you don't have to apologize about that. I mean, you know, your interviews are always great. Your questions are always great. You're more entertaining than, than well, anybody else who's interviewed me because, to be honest, it's enjoyable and usually I can't be 
can't be bothered with people. You do great interviews, and you know, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Um, well, until we can speak of the devil again, hail Satan. Hey, thank you. Hail Satan. <laughs>